0: Thank you, Tim. Um, And thank you for your very kind words about the university. I don't know whether any of you are aware, but um, the one up the hill where I'm from um, is celebrating its 50th birthday. And last weekend, we had this huge birthday celebration. I don't know whether any of you went up there. A few nods, yeah. Um, Anyone know, actually, if you're all from that campus, how many people we had visit the campus last Saturday? Any idea? Have you seen it on the website? We had 10,500 people come up to the university, which was just fantastic. Some crazy number, like 500 people tried tennis for the first time in the sports training village. And it was uh, just the most amazing day. You'll probably wonder what the business and management faculty did. Well, we were in a teepee. Uh, which is, you know, most people don't expect to find a uh, business management faculty in a in a teepee. But it was a great day, um, and apparently people enjoyed it so much they've asked us if we could do it every year. Um, so we'll take a great big deep breath and, and try and do it every single de- a year. And thank you very very much for inviting me into what I see as your spiritual home, um, St Thomas's and St matt's are a bit like semi-detached houses. Uh, they, the, the structure and the design is exactly the same but what goes on in the houses is slightly different and the families are slightly different um, and of course Tim has a sort of secret magic door and runs in between the two uh, houses every Sunday. He apparently did 8 o'clock at St Thomas's this morning so it's been a long day as he's pointed out to me um, So Tonight, uh, I want to focus on the reading that we've just heard um, from Acts, Uh, and I'll just read the last couple of verses to you again. At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at Stephen, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So in this story uh, about the martyrdom of Stephen, an incredibly short passage in the Bible, and that's what I find so amazing about the Bible, is that you get these very, very short pieces of narrative that say so much we see both the best and the worst of mankind. Man's capacity to persecute his or her fellow man and man's enormous capacity for faith and sacrifice. And I'm going to reflect on both of these aspects tonight in this talk. The capacity that lies within each one of us here tonight for great evil, and the capacity that also lies within each one of us for great love and for great sacrifice. And for me, what is the bridge? What is the bridge that stops someone being on the hillside of evil uh, and actually takes them to the hillside of love and sacrifice? And for me, personally, it is, of course, the teachings of the Christian faith. Stephen, if you don't know, is actually the very first Christian martyr. That story was from AD 36, uh, so just 36 years after the death of of Jesus Christ. And what you've got to try and remember is that the church at that time was faltering. It was was stuttering into existence. There are 2.2 billion Christians in the world today at that time, at most, spread out over a very small area of land, they probably wouldn't have amounted to more than about 800. And some of them would have been in hiding precisely because of what was happening to Stephen. So it was a very uh, clandestine, if you like, way of living. And therefore, you have to see this act as the very first Christian martyr, as an incredible act, He didn't have generations going before him. He was the very first person to, in effect, be persecuted and killed for this proclamation of faith after after Jesus. So uh, he was one of the first deacons. They were just starting to organize the church. And so if we use common Anglican parlance today, we'd call him an archdeacon. He was the first amongst these deacons. And basically what he'd done was he'd preached in the synagogues. Uh, aroused like Jesus, the uh, wrath of the authorities, Being accused of blasphemy, uh, had been tried in a court uh, and the court had found him guilty and then the court did nothing to stop a mob stoning him. And so in the story of Stephen, we have an example of institutions if you like, formalizing a form of evil, of not being tolerant of an individual of their beliefs, and also the angry mob actually attacking people, persecuting somebody for their beliefs, for for simply their faith. Um, And you might say, well, it's okay, I live in Bath. Bath is the epitome of of calm and and safety. Uh, Almost, uh, you know, many of the students, the international students that come and... uh, study here, study here because we are one of the safest cities in the world. But we have to understand that persecution of all faiths goes on around the world. It's estimated that about 200 million, uh, I don't think it can be 200 million, I'm just going to check that again, yes, 200 million Christians at the moment face discrimination of some kind across the world. But let's also not... Forget the Muslims at the moment in the US who are very, very fearful of the Trump administration. US citizens who are Islamic in faith, very, very, very worried by, uh, if you like, the pronouncements of Trump. So how should we view uh, persecution and martyrdom in the 21st century? Well, firstly, let's recognize that religious tolerance is not growing. Uh, it is under threat, uh, and that actually people are still, like Stephen, suffering to their death for their faith. Now, I don't know whether any of you, any of you been to St. Paul's Cathedral in the last couple of years in London? Anyone gone into St. Paul's Cathedral? Okay. Well, if you haven't been along to St. Paul's Cathedral, you might not know Um, that a very large video installation went in in 2014. It's by an American artist uh, called Bill Viola and his partner Kira Peroff, but I think uh, Viola is the main uh, artist. And it opened in May 2014, and it shows four vertical plasma screens. And on these four plasma screens are four individuals being martyred by the four classical elements of the world, earth, air, wind, and fire. And the four people being shown on these plasma screens have undergone extreme fates. Uh, One has been buried, another hangs with her wrists and ankles bound as extreme wind buffets her body, Another sits amongst flames, and a fourth hangs upside down as he's drenched in cascades of water. And I'm going to show you this video in a moment. And what I would ask you to do in each instance, it will move from each figure through to the next one. Look at what happens at the end of the video. Look at what happens as they hang between supposed death. hope. Now the institution was commissioned, uh, installation was commissioned by St Paul's. It lasts about seven minutes. It is totally silent, so when it is silent it's not that the soundtrack's not working, it's meant to be silent and it's meant to be a meditative piece of art. So what I would ask us, just for seven minutes, is to just look at the video reflect on the story of Stephen and those who are being persecuted for their faith and then I'm going to say a few words about what certainly I saw in the video. So can we play it now? I'm always nervous when we involve the internet but Tim tells me nothing untoward is going to happen. Here we go. So I've watched that about um, 12 times now and I think it's allows us all to contemplate the human condition, not just religious contemplation but the actual nature of human existence. The art itself is very deliberate. They slow down the movements so that you can watch the actions very, very carefully. Uh, And I would commend to you watching it again because the artist has thought really carefully about what he does with each of the figures. Um, I think he's highlighting the human capacity for hope and courage in the midst of destruction. Did anyone notice what any of the figures did towards the end? Was there was was a common thing that each figure did? Anybody notice? The head went up in the case of the man that was being drowned with water, he was actually taken up and his arms went back down to his side. So you get this great sense of, of hope at the end, if you look very carefully, actually, although the woman has, has endured her, her persecution, she is very gently freeing her hands from the ropes at the top. The man on the chair looks uh, up at the end again and is at peace with the world. And so the piece that is, is interesting to me because it's, it's neither horrific and nor is it actually immensely sad. The figures do not scream, they do not fight, they simply but really, really powerfully endure through all of that. And it would appear, therefore, that it's a depiction of faith. But it turns martyrdom from the traditional medieval depiction of people being burnt at stakes, etc., etc., into a much more philosophical scene about suffering, redemption, and making the ultimate sacrifice. But even though I think it's really, really powerful, and I think it's a fantastic installation for St. Paul's to have put in place, I think that this installation misses one thing about Christian martyrdom for me. And I want to go back at the end of this talk to the story about Stephen. Because for me, the whole most important part of the entire story about Stephen. More than the stoning of the angry mob, more than the reaction of the the court, is this. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So of course, Stephen's courage in the face of adversity and his declaration of faith is incredibly impressive. But even more important is his forgiveness of his aggressors. Just like Jesus on the cross, he forgives the people who are killing him. And for me, that is what makes a true Christian martyr. There are many martyrs across this world. But the act of a Christian as a martyr in forgiving the aggressors and persecutors is really quite extraordinary. And unfortunately, we don't have to go back 2,000 years to find examples of martyrdom by Christians. And I'm going to leave you at the end of this evening with just a very recent story, which I find immensely moving. And again, you will be able to find on the web after this service if you want to look at it. In May 1996, the GIA, a radical Muslim faction active in Algeria, kidnapped seven Trappist monks living in the Atlas Mountains and threatened to hold them hostage until France released some of the terrorists' own imprisoned um, comrades. Several weeks passed and the French government refused. And in the end, the GIA killed the monks by beheading them. A film was made of this, uh, and it's called Of God and Men. It's one of my husband's favorite films. My husband's at the back of the hall. You might wonder, but, <laughs> but it is a, a, a favorite film of John's. I have not had the strength to watch it yet, but I have read around the events of that time, uh, and I'm going to tell you a, a deeper uh, version of the story. Because it is not simply that the monks were captured and beheaded But the fact is, and this is what the film shows, they knew the terrorist group was coming. And the film is a film about the days before the terrorist group. You don't see the killing. And the debate that goes on in that monastery is whether they run or whether they stay and maintain their faith in what they fear will be their eventual death. And so they had the chance to escape and that they chose to stay. Uh, And after the event, after their deaths, it came to light that the head of the monastery, the prior, a man called Christian de Chergé, knowing that he was going to be captured and probably killed, left a letter for his family and friends to be read in the event of his death. And I've just extracted a very small section of this letter, but I commend you to read the whole of the letter on the web. So the letter is called The Last Testament of Christian de Cherge. My life has no more value than any other, nor any less value. In any case, it has not the innocence of childhood. I've lived long enough to know that I share in the evil which seems, alas, to prevail in the world, even in that which would strike me blindly. I should like, when the time comes, to have a clear space which would allow me to beg forgiveness of God and of all my fellow human beings and, and this is the important bit, at the same time to forgive with all my heart the one who would strike me down. And you also, the friend, he goes on, there's a gap in between, the friend of my final moment, in other words, the the killer, who would not be aware of what you were doing, yes, for you also, I wish this thank you and this adieu to commend you to the God whose face I see in yours. And may we find each other happy good thieves in paradise, if it pleases God, the Father of us both. Amen. So for me, what these stories about martyrdom say is that these people have an amazing willingness to die for their faith. I'm not sure I do. Uh, a courage to do so. I know I don't have courage. An incredible acceptance of their fate, and that's what you saw in the Viola installation. It's quite peaceful. And a belief in the world to come, and that is the act of the people in that installation of looking upwards and of St. Stephen praying to God at the end. But perhaps for all of us here today as Christians, The thing that is so impressive is this capacity for forgiveness, to forgive those who are aggressive towards us in any form, who persecute us in any way. And that's so easy for us to say in a safe city like Bath, and so much harder to do in some of the circumstances in which people find themselves in today. But for me... What we see in these stories and in that installation, in the story of Stephen, is what I think is the true faithful response of a really valiant and brave Christian, and it gives me enormous inspiration. So that's just some reflections, uh, and I hope you'll visit the web and look at the film of God and Men, and also visit Viola's installation from St. Paul's, maybe go and see it in person. Um, and for all of you who have exams, I have one piece of advice. Answer the question we set you, not the one in your head. <laughs> Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Veronica. you know, I think we owe it to the persecuted church to spend nights like this reflecting on the reality of persecution because we can come to our nice comfy church with our new nice IKEA sofas and we can put on whatever music we want to and try and not annoy the neighbours too much and we can worship in different ways that kind of suits different generations and different styles and different... uh, Ways of being church. We can meet at St Thomas in the morning, and I can wear my robes and put a collar on, and we can sing our hymns, and I can preach there. And we can come here in the evening and have the band and worship and be community and be family. And we can gather as I do with city leaders. Next week I'll be meeting with people from the Catholic Church and the Baptist Church and the Independent Church. And we, as leaders, we gather together. We have breakfast together. We pray together. We reflect on what God's doing in the city, and we're excited. And we talk openly about what God's doing. We can do that here. But so much of the church globally is under incredible pressure. I was just looking at some figures. Back in 2016, there were some recorded uh, the numbers of Christians who uh, lost their lives in 2016, estimated at one every six minutes. So in the half an hour of Veronica would have been speaking, some five Christians would have lost their faith, specifically just because they were Christians. And that's the reality for much of the church, and has always been so, actually. Although there's now more persecution against the Christian church than at any other time in history. There's more Christians dying for their faith, and of course many other faiths as well. So we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Pakistan and in India, where there's terrible persecution against the churches, against church pastors, against congregations. I was reading just recently of a church who was worshipping on a Sunday morning And hand grenades are thrown into the middle of the worship community. For places across Asia, uh, even in parts of South America, for terrible persecution in parts of Africa. But the thing that is staggering is where there's those persecutions, often the church thrives and grows under increased, terrible pain. In China, where of course the persecution was horrendous for many, many years, the underground church is now estimated at some 200 million. Christian believers who have come to faith. And that country has opened up in new ways. It's remarkable. So we need to pray. Pray for our brothers and sisters. Pray for them so they're not forgotten. Those who are incarcerated this evening, who will be in cells, who will be suffering. And we need to keep being a people of faith and hope because God is the God who brings hope to the persecuted and to us. So our prayers are really, really important. Talking about it is really important. Uh, Organisations like Open Doors is a really helpful organisation to be connected with. If you're not connected to Open Doors, I'd encourage you to go on their website. They regularly give updates, how to pray, where to pray, who to write letters to in the government. there are a political voice um, of all right across all political um, colours and shades and they speak with a real Christian voice of integrity and truth. So let's be praying let's act, let's speak, let's talk about it. But I just want to pray and we're just going to um, close in some worship. And it may be during that worship, you just want to stay seated and just use that time to meditate on some of the things that's been shared tonight. But let's-